Have a seat. There's different ways for us to look at this story of Jesus walking on the water. I think one of the most central ways that we can look at it is the whole subject of prayer. Picture yourself in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, also called Gennesaret, because there was a plain called Gennesaret on the other side, and that's probably where they were headed. And in the middle of a storm... In the middle of the night, Jesus came walking on the water. Are you in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, in your own life? Do you recognize Jesus? Do you recognize God coming to you, walking on the water? As I mentioned, it's one of the most famous miracles of Jesus Isaiah 64, 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Have you longed in your life for God to appear? Maybe you've doubted there is a God, and you question, Is there really a God? If there is a God, would he show up in my life? Isaiah gives this metaphor of God rending the heavens and coming down and the mountains trembling before him. It was Aristotle, I believe, who said that one of the greatest gifts that you can have is the ability to use a metaphor well. A metaphor gives a resemblance of something. And this whole story of Jesus walking on the water and the challenge for you to be a water walker, in one sense, is a metaphor that you can carry with you Weekend and week out every year of your life. Because his presence is available to you in your time of need. And if you're not in a time of need, if you're not in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a night today, just wait. Just wait. It's a coming. What happens to you when you're in the middle of a storm in the middle of the night? Do you see the heavens rendered and God coming down to meet with you? Do you experience God with the power to shake even mountains and change the course of events in your life? Or do you have a small, itty-bitty little God? Or do you have a God who is way out there, far removed, if He does exist, but He's not personal, walking in your life? This painting here is by Salvador Dali. Art's a good way to capture meaning and significance. Not only in that picture that that artist drew of Jesus walking on the water, extending his hand, but there's also a poem by Francis Thompson entitled, In No Stranger Land. Actually, I thought it was interesting this morning having sung the... uh, worship song, Oceans, 
is that art has a way of being able to sort of go around the back and capturing us in a way that just straightforward words never do. Francis Thompson was an opioid addict on the streets of London in the late 1800s. He had a brilliant mind. He would spend time on the streets of London at Charing Cross. If you're familiar with Charing Cross, is where six roads come together in the inner part of London. He would sleep along the River Thames that flowed through London. He had a very keen mind and he would write well and sometimes he would send his writings into the local newspaper. But he was struggling. He was struggling that season of life in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, of the dark night of the soul, actually. And he wrote this poem. Listen to these words. O world invisible, we view thee. O world intangible, we touch thee. O world unknowable, we know thee. Inapprehensible, we clutch thee. Does a fish soar to find the ocean, or an eagle plunge to find the air? Do we ask of the stars in motion if they have rumor of thee there? Not where our wheeling systems darken, or our benumbed conceiving soar. The drift of pinions would they hearken, beats on our own clay-shuttered doors. The angels take their ancient places, turn but a stone and start a wing. Tis ye, tis your estranged faces that miss the many-splendored thing. But when so sad thou canst not sadder, cry upon thy so sore loss. So shine the traffic of Jacob's ladder pitched between heaven and charring cross. Yea, in the night, my soul, my daughter, cry clutching heaven by the hymns. Lo, Christ, walking on the water. Not of Gennesaret, but Tams. Isn't that beautiful? He takes the first three stanzas of this poem, and it's in the plural, first person. But he starts with our search and our longing for where God is. In the invisible world, the intangible world, the unknowable world, how do we come to grasp and to touch? And then he says, look at the fish and the eagles do they go around wondering where's the where's the water at or where's the air at but yet we look and we long for where is god where is god at and 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 we have this longing to think well maybe he's way out there in the stars and and everything that's in motion the wheeling systems are conceiving we try to comprehend but we fall short and and then he turns it and he says the drift of pinions, which is an, a, a bird's wings. It's, it's not out there soaring in the distance, but it's beating right here on our own clay shuttered doors. God can be comprehended by you and by I, even if you're, I'm sorry, even if you're in the atheistic category today or an agnostic. And it's not merely with, with reason and intellect that we comprehend who God is. We comprehend God with love. And as we begin to turn our hearts in that direction, we start to see more fully of who God is. 
the angels, they keep their ancient places and they're turning the stones and starting a week. But it's our estranged faces that we miss the many splendor things that's right around us in God's presence right before us. But when we're in the pit, when we're in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, what can shine through is the traffic of Jacob's ladder. Do you remember that story? In the Old Testament, Jacob was running from Esau, and there was this place, and he had this dream, and in this dream there was a ladder pitched between heaven and where he was, and God was coming and descending down. And he woke up from that dream, and he stood back, and he said, Oh, man, this is a sacred place for God was here. And so Francis Thompson says, So shine the track of traffic of Jacob's ladder pitched between heaven and Charing Cross, where he'd hung out with all of his other addicts. What word would you substitute there? Pitched between heaven and Promenade Mall. God descending. Jesus talked about it in John. When he called his disciples, he says, you're amazed at this. He says, you will see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending before the throne. Heaven is not some distance, far away place. And that's why he says, yea, in the night, my son, my soul, my daughter, cry clutching heaven by the hymns. I want to hang on to the little bit that I know. Lo, Christ is walking on the water, not of Gennesaret, but Tams. Not of Gennesaret. Sea of Galilee. That's not the only place that Jesus walked on water. He walks on the water of our lives and our communities. Substitute Lake Elsinore, Lake Skinner. There's not a lot of bodies of water around here. Haverston Lake maybe, right? Jesus appears and he walks in your life, in your neighborhood, in your home. And I don't know about you, but there's been many a times in my life where I've cried out to God, clutching heaven by the hymns, where are you? Since in his distance, but then to see him revealed in some measure, in some manner, in some event, in some person, in some study, whatever it may be, in some dream even, where you wake up and you go, whoa, the presence of God is here with me. Lo, Christ walking on the water. Not of Gennesaret, not some old time story that you read about in the scriptures and Pastor Kerry preaches on for a few weeks on a Sunday morning in the summer of 2018. It's a story about a real living God who walks in your life and in my life. Walks on the water, not of Gennesaret, but of the valley in which I live. You know, one of my deep, grievous things when I look at the church, when I look at our country, when I look even at our own individual lives, is when we get caught up, not in fake news, but in fake faith. And fake faith is pretending that there's a God. Pretending that maybe, yeah, we could talk to God or some prayer, but we pretend and we don't have actual experience, authentic true living reality of Jesus in our presence. Jesus. That's what all this is about. That's why we send kids to camp. That's why we gather for worship. 
It's not because of a religion or ritual or church going. It's because of a living, dynamic person who chooses to walk in the storms of your life and my life and minister his power and his wonder and his miracles to us and our friends who are in the boat as well. Is your faith real or is it pretend? Now, Catch me here. I'm not condemning a pretend kind of thing because many times we hope that there is a living God. We hope that Jesus is real. We hope that he rose from the grave, that he's alive, that he's able to minister miracles in our life. We hope that, but we really don't have a lot of confidence and faith in it. Well, you start there and then you begin to open your eyes to the presence of the Lord. Open your eyes because the wonder in the presence of the Lord is around you and I. I want to describe five different kinds of prayers where you can open your eyes and understand their living reality of Jesus in your life. And you'll identify with these five. And they're all recorded in this story. Prayer is not just um, sending up some hopeful things that bounce off the ceiling or just go out in outer space and disappear. Prayer is talking to a person. It's like me. I could have a conversation with Lori right now. And so if I'm going to have a prayer with the living, true, vibrant Jesus then I, I need to discard this idea that he's way out somewhere and I can't talk to him. I just, I just need to talk. Zach, let me talk to you. Noah, let me talk to you. Dylan, let me talk with you. Real relationships, right? We can talk one with another. Well, this Jesus that wants to show up in your life, God himself, it's sort of pretty cool. It's even better than the internet, all right, and, and some type of wireless system. He speaks directly to your heart and your soul, and he can open up your eyes, and you can see the wonder of who he is all around you. But you've got to believe that that's possible. Don't get caught up in the fake stuff. Get caught up in the real stuff. So here is the first prayer. The first prayer is the prayer of fear. Here they are walking Uh, Here they are in the boat, and Jesus comes walking by, it says. And remember how they described him walking by? They're in trouble, far away from the land. A strong wind had risen. They're fighting the heavy waves. Three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He was going to walk past, past them by to show his glory, we talked about. When the disciples saw him on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out. Let's all say it together. Ready? It's a ghost. Have you ever said that in your own life? Have you ever thought you saw a ghost? Maybe you don't believe in ghosts. I don't know if I believe in ghosts. I do believe in the spirit realm. And I do know that spirits can have their ways of, of, of describing reality and, and, and walking in this reality. But here they were 2,000 years ago and they're sitting in this boat and they go, Oh my goodness! Oh my Lord! It's a ghost. You may be right there with your prayer life. Not even believing fully in God. But there's something in you that goes, oh my goodness. Oh my Lord, what's going on? What's going on in my world? What's going on in my personal life? What just happened to me? It is a prayer that calls out in fear. Do you know that scripture, if you, if you took this scripture, that it's exhorted to fear not. You know how many times... Fear not shows up in the Bible 365 times. Enough for one day of every, I mean, one, one time for every day of the year. Fear not. Fear, why? Why? Because fear is a natural human thing. 
You ever been spooked, been scared, not necessarily by ghosts, but by reality, by, by what you have to do and accomplish in life, by something that's happened to you that's hurt and harmed you, and there's fear that seizes you. In that moment of fear, you can cry out and you can pray to God. And a prayer of fear is an okay kind of prayer. In fact, many times that's where it starts. Now, we like to be competent to the point of being arrogant sometimes in life. And so we don't like to cry out and think that we need God. I'm pretty good on my own. I'm chugging along. I don't need God because, well, I don't want there to be a God. Then I can't be in control and lead my own life. Right? But we hit the wall. We hit a place. Fear seizes us. And it haven't seized you yet. Just keep waiting. It will. And in that moment, when you cry out, you are headed in a good direction. Your prayer of fear can lead you to a good place. For the second is the prayer of seeking. The prayer of seeking. Is it you, Lord? Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you. Now, they're in a storm. They're fishermen. The boat's being tossed. They don't know why Jesus fully stayed back behind after the feeding of the 5,000 on the hill. He's going to dismiss them. And my goodness, Jesus, if you're going to join us and you're going to come walking on the water, why don't you just come to the boat and solve this thing, right? And we said the first week, one of my questions is, why didn't he calm the waters before he had Peter walk on the water, right? But here Jesus is appearing to them. He says, take courage because I'm going to send the Coast Guard. Does he say that? Take courage because there's a big yacht coming to rescue all of us. Or take courage. I see that storm's going away. I, I, I see clouds. I, I, I see the stars breaking through in the middle of the night. No, he says, take courage because I am here. Take courage because the church is here or because there's a Bible around. Take courage because, you know, there's, there's some uh, good how-to steps from a message you heard that you can remember. No, he says, take courage because I am here. Now, this gets back to the true faith rather than the fake faith. It centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're living in fear, if you're distracted, if you're concerned with where your life is going, it's really simple. You need to sit down and get your focus set on who Jesus is. Some of you were here last week when my son both embarrassed me and honored me and really threw me off on my message when he stood on Father's Day and gave some words of affirmation to me. Ryan. Ryan likes to take his extra spending money and do little trips. And he texted us yesterday a picture of, guess where I'm at? We're going, great, where's Ryan at this weekend? (laughs) He decided to jump in a train and go up the coast of California in one of those little cabins you can get. And uh, he was telling us a little bit about his excursion, and he's going to take some free air miles and fly back. And he just needed some hermit time, but he didn't want to stay in his apartment. So good job, Ryan. You came up with another cool idea to spend your weekend. But I texted him this morning from my office because I know what he's doing. He's cruising up the coast, and some of you maybe have done the trains. I've not. And 
you're looking out at God's creation and you're seeing the ocean, those kinds of things, and he's going to end up in Seattle uh, later today. But I'm thinking there my son is. How can I encourage him on this Lord's Day? He's not in church, but he can be with Jesus. And so I exhorted him on a couple texts and I encouraged him to spend time with Jesus. As you're in that train cabin, reflect for your time of worship on the person of Jesus. And I encourage you to do that. If you're struggling in your spiritual life right now, open your Bibles, read the red letter words, read stories about Jesus, let Jesus speak to you. As Jesus showed up on that water in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night, he said, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Now then, some of our responses, just like Peter's, oh, uh, okay, maybe you're not a ghost. If that, is, that, is that really you? Ask him. Ask him. Some of you have been flying so fast, so long, and now you're trying to figure out your vacation time and how to chill out some during the summer to be able to make it through to the fall, and, and you can't breathe. You can't slow down enough to experience that Christ is walking on the water, not of Gennesaret, but of your road. Spend time with Jesus, seeking prayer, crying out to Him. Lord, are You there? Is it really You? In Jeremiah twenty nine twelve, it says, Then you will call upon Me and come and pray to Me, and I will listen to you. You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with half a heart. No, with all your heart. When's the last time you put that at the front of your agenda for the week? Top of your schedule, blocked out time. Someone else wanted to meet with you, but you just need to say, I've got a meeting. And my meeting, you don't even tell them who the meeting's with. I just got a meeting with an important person for two hours uh, during a long lunch break. And your meeting is to seek Jesus with all of your heart. Go somewhere. Take some moments. Maybe before you go to bed, maybe get up early. Seek him with all of your heart and you will find that he is walking on the water with you. Third prayer is the prayer of action. And we know that uh, upon Peter recognizing and identifying that it was Jesus, he cried out and he says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. This was a command that he was asking of Jesus. He needed some hope. And the hope was God needed to take action in his life in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night. What was going on? Speak a prayer of command to Jesus. Jesus, I believe it's you. If it's really you, though, command me to come to you. Command me to take steps to walk towards you, to see action happen. you ever feel a little sheepish about this idea about commanding Jesus tell me to come to you Peter who are you you know we identify well with Peter because he always sort of has the highs and the lows and we can go through a whole bunch of those stories you know Peter's always sticking the foot in the mouth you know stepping but one thing you got to admire about Peter is he takes the initiative with Jesus hey wherever you go I'm going to go follow you Jesus says yeah right 
before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Right? It's those kinds of situations where you find Peter. And here he is, Peter in the boat. And he says, hey, that's you, Jesus. Hey, command me to come to you. It's a little arrogant and bold almost, isn't it? Jesus is like, command me, I'm God. Who are you to tell me what to do? Well, guess what? God has opened up, as I sometimes say, the governing room of the Godhead for you to walk into that governing room, sit down around that table, and not command God, but petition God. And that's what he's doing here. Petition me to come to you. Petition God to act in your life. Now, you may not know how he needs to act, or you may ask in a measure that's not aligned with his will. That's true. But I would really just encourage you at this particular kind of prayer, don't get hung up on that. As you're really seeking Jesus and you, per, and you command God or you petition God to work and act on your behalf in a situation, you keep asking that prayer. And over the course of time, if it is a miss from God's will, or if there's self-centeredness in it, he will realign that prayer and you'll start praying some different ways. But what I sense is Christians are a little weak in being bold in praying. Prayers commanding God into action. Command me, Lord. A prayer of action. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat. And walked on the water towards Jesus. And when he command, when you command him, guess what? He's going to command you. It's a mutual initiative to see the water walking take place. But that prayer, the prayer of action, is one that I find that we're rather sheepish on. John Ortberg, who wrote the book, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat, says this. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, you've got to take a step of faith. It involves risky obedience. Risky obedience. I want to read for you a story. True story about a guy who had come to know Christ. He was an insurance salesman. He came to know Christ, and he had a relationship with a guy by the name of Doug Coe. Doug Coe died, I believe it was about a year ago, but he had been involved in ministry in Washington, D.C. for a number of years. In fact, I think he was the person that initiated the National Prayer Breakfast. He would sort of have uh, prayer groups operating in Washington, D.C., sort of like AA groups, you know, where they were sort of hidden and you didn't talk about them much, but people would come and they would pray. And he did this for a number of years. And so Doug Coe had this ministry in D.C. and he came across a guy by the name of Bob. And Bob, um, he was new in his faith. And it says this, One day Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, Ask whatever you will in my name and you shall receive it. Is that really true, Bob demanded? Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. You have to take in it, it in context of the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer. But yes, it really is true. Jesus really does want to answer your prayer. 
Great, Bob said. Then I got to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. That's kind of a broad target. Why don't you narrow it down to one country, Doug advised. All right, I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya, Doug asked? Nope. Ever been to Kenya? Nope. Bob just wanted to pray for Kenya. So Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months, for six months for Kenya. If Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. It was a pretty unusual prayer program, but then Doug is a creative guy. Bob began to pray, and for a long time, uh, nothing happened. Then one night, he was at a dinner in Washington. The people around the table explained what they did for a living. One woman said she ran an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away. But he could not keep quiet. Bob roared to life. He had not said much up to this point, and now he pounded her relentlessly with question after question. Well, you're obviously very interested in my country, the woman said to Bob, overwhelmed by his sudden barrage of questions. You've been to Kenya before? Nope. Do you know someone in Kenya? Nope. Then how do you happen to be so curious? Well, someone is kind of paying me $500 to pray. (laughs) She asked Bob if he would like to come visit Kenya and tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. When Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled by the poverty and the lack of basic health care. Upon returning to Washington, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. He began to write to large pharmaceutical companies describing to them the vast need he had seen. He reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. Why not send them to this place in Kenya, he asked. And some of them did. This orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. The woman called Bob up and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters you wrote. Would you like to fly back over here and have a big party? Will you come? So Bob flew back to Kenya. While he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country and offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. In the course of the tour, they saw a prison. Bob asked about a group of prisoners there. They're political prisoners, the president told him. That's a bad idea, Bob said rightly. You should let them go. Bob finished the tour, flew back home. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Uh, yes. What did you say? Well, I told them they should let him out. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end. But now the prisoners had been released, and the State Department was told it had been largely because of Bob. So the government was calling to say thanks. 
Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? So Bob, who was not politically connected at all, boarded a plane once more, flew back to Kenya where he prayed and asked God to give wisdom for the leader of the nation as he selected his government. All this happened because one man got out of the boat. Been sitting around twiddling your thumbs recently? Why don't you start praying and commanding God to act on your heart and in the lives of other people? Jesus is real. He walks on the water of your life. And if you want to see the power of God in your life, you've got to take steps of faith. And those steps of faith begin with prayers of faith and prayers of action. It involves risky obedience, but you've got to get out of the boat. The little thing that Joe did there for camp, we all recognize those kinds of commercials where they're tugging on your heart. Oh, the animals need to be adopted, and that's fine if you adopt your animals, or this type of, or here's, it's like, oh, the empathy's there. Joe's saying, hey, you want to sponsor a kid for camp, summer boredom. That was very creative. But sometimes I wonder, could God bleed on you his heart for the needs in our world and the needs of your life? And would you take upon yourself a prayer of initiative, a prayer that's commanding God to act and he returns the call for you to act? The story of Bob can be the story of your life and my life, but we've got to grab a hold of prayer initiatives that cause, call God into action. The fourth is save me, Lord, the prayer of desperation. It's very simple, Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Right there, that's the shortest prayer in the Bible. How many of you have prayed that prayer before? Save me, Lord. I am in over my head. You start to look around, you see the circumstances, you're called into action, you believe Jesus was there at the beginning, you were inspired by Jesus to start taking the walk, and then all of a sudden you took your eyes off Jesus and your walk was no longer sustained. And you find yourself in a predicament where you throw up your hands and you say, Save me, Lord! Now, guess what? A prayer of desperation is an okay kind of prayer. Problem is, usually that's the only prayer I find people praying sometimes. They wait until they get to the point of desperation. But a prayer of desperation is an incredible prayer because if Jesus is walking on your road, then he is going to be there to minister his power and his strength to help you out. And so when you find yourself in those falling, failing conditions, you need to cry out to him. Jesus immediately reached down and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now, he's not saying that Peter doesn't have any faith. He says you have little faith. Why did you doubt the Bible? Why did you doubt what your best friend counseled you to do? No, why did you doubt me? Me. It's coming back to center on the person of Jesus Christ. Why did you doubt me? Peter, it wasn't that his faith was not there. His faith had become anemic 
because of where his focus of his faith was. Faith is not a commodity of which you need more. Rather, faith is consistent trust in looking to Jesus alone to accomplish what he calls you to do. Do you catch this? Sometimes I find myself, oh, I've just got to believe more. Lord Jesus, I've called you to do this. and we have to, Lord, help me. I need to grow my faith. My faith needs to be bigger. Like I need to expand it. I need more and more bushels. I need more commodity. I need truckloads full of faith. It's not that. The little faith has to do with the focus of the faith. And my belief in the person of Jesus Christ. Is your faith little? Maybe it's because your faith is wrongly directed. Your faith is in yourself. Your faith is in your own competence, your own ability to make things happen, rather than your faith being in Jesus alone. If you're at that, save me, Lord, kind of desperation prayer, open your eyes to Jesus walking on the water. He is the one you look to in those times of need. Because he has all power in heaven on earth. And he can rend the heavens. And he can establish the ladder. And have the traffic of angels and his very self come and minister. It's Jesus that we need. And it was Jesus that reached down into the sinking Peter. And pulled him up. Got him into the boat. Jesus truly is the focus of our prayer. And the fifth and the last is this. The prayer of worship. You are Lord. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Have you ever worshipped God on the other side of him coming through? Maybe it's him performing a miracle. Maybe him sustaining you in a job. Maybe him giving health to your child. Jesus is to be worshipped when he acts. Because of not only what he does, but who he is in himself. So those are your five prayers. Oh, my Lord. Is it you, Lord? Command me, Lord. Save me, Lord. You are Lord. The prayer of fear, of seeking, action, desperation, and worship. It yields things in your life. The fear acknowledges the need that you have, and that's a healthy thing to acknowledge. Seeking will lead you to truth. If you're not seeking, you'll continue to live and lie in error. The prayer of action brings hope into whatever situation you have in life. I can never change. I am who I am. I've got this dysfunction. I can never overcome it. The prayer of action brings hope. Desperation builds faith. You see, and and worship brings trust. What Jesus was doing with Peter was he was preparing and building Peter. He was creating within Peter a sense of himself. Peter was on a discipleship path. Peter was on a leadership path. When you see Peter in the book of Acts, you don't find a wimpy Peter. When you read the epistles of Peter, you find him talking boldly about faith and strength. Why? because of these water-walking kinds of experiences. Three takeaways real quick. Learn to practice the presence of Jesus. 
Learn to open your conscious attention to Jesus everywhere you go and develop a line of communication with him in all of your circumstances. Let's take away number one. Learn to practice the presence of Jesus. He's near. Takeaway number two is your circumstances are not the measure of Jesus' love for you. He will never leave you and never loves you less even though your conditions cause you to doubt him. Life in this world is hard at times. Some of you living in sin today. Some of you fallen real bad. Some of you double-minded. And you're like, I am in the doghouse with God. He wants to kick me down the road. He's done with me. Your God grieves because of your sin, but he doesn't love you any less because you're in sin. He wants to call you out of the sin, out of the storm, onto solid ground. And takeaway number three, consciously open yourself to Jesus' presence, love and power in difficult times. You can and must call on Christ by exercising your faith. Look to Jesus for his saving help in the time of need. Open yourself up to the presence, the love, and the power of Jesus in difficult times. Each of us are walking our own road of circumstances and challenges. As many of you know, as your pastor, I'm walking a very challenging road of getting out of the boat and leading us as a body into the fall with a new season of ministry. And this week I had one of those things of I saw the wind. Now you can't really see wind, right? You see what wind does. It causes the storm. And I again had to make sure that I practiced what I preached and got my eyes back on Jesus. Because um, when you're trying to move into a new dimension of ministry, a new location, a new facility, there's a lot of challenges. One of those challenges is financial challenges because you realize all the things you need to buy or to make or help improve and stuff you need to do. And um, many of you jumped on board and, and helped with this whole transition and the Vision 2018 thing, which I'm so, so grateful for. And I really believe it's Jesus calling us all together. And uh, we said our initial gifts, uh, that this would be the last Sunday, try to get in those upfront gifts, and then we go to our commitments for our monthly gifts for the next 12 months. And, and all that's great is God's leading. And, and yeah, most of you gotten those gifts in, excited about that. There's still some outstanding and all that. But, you know, this is one of those weeks where I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's some storms and there's some winds. And it's not just because I come from a farming background. There was only a small season of life when I was a young kid on a farm that we had cattle. But my dad would often reference a verse in the Psalms that said that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So in the midst of me needing to get my eyes on Jesus this week, in the midst of the storm, in the middle of the night, I googled that Psalm and looked for some images. And this was one of many that I copied and pasted. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50, verse 10. You ever heard that verse? It's talking about the wealth of God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And for whatever reason, in my mind, I always think that God owns a thousand cattle. 
But it doesn't say God owns a thousand cattle. It says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the resources. And I had to spend time as I was trying to walk on the water this week and starting to see the wind and sink and say, Lord Jesus, I need to get my sight set back on you. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You've called us in this step of faith. And that step of faith stretches us in many ways. But this is the Lord's deal. It's his resources. And he has all the resources needed to do the ministry he's calling us to do as we step into the fall. Just a simple story of how I've had to turn my eyes to Jesus. Have you had to turn your eyes to Jesus recently? Do you need to turn your eyes to Jesus today? I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connection.